So for those who, who were here last week, uh, I ended the sermon with a question, and it's a question that I've been sitting with myself all week, of who is missing. When you look around the room of, of this church or your home church, and you think about who isn't here. And, and I don't mean that question uh, to regard those that stopped coming to church because of COVID or moved away or just left and, and, and moved on. When I ask who is missing, I mean those people in your life, those people in our community who are disconnected from church, disconnected from, from faith, people for whom walking through the doors of a church seems like a bridge too far. Now, there are tons of reasons why people don't feel like they can come to church. Maybe they've made a mess of their lives and they don't believe that God would want them or that God's people would want them. Perhaps they're, they'd be afraid of being seen as, as different because of how they look or how they talk or how they dress or how they live. Perhaps they've had bad experiences with church people and, and they don't want to revisit the trauma of that. And yet while they might think that they're done with church, most aren't really done with Jesus. They have favorable opinions of Jesus. They have admiration for Jesus, even love and trust for Jesus. They experience a longing for a relationship with that which is greater than themselves. Now, there was a time in the church where the expectation was that if someone was spiritually hungry, if they had questions, if they wanted to explore faith, that they would wake up on Sunday morning, put on their Sunday best, hop in the car, and then drive to a local congregation. And that still does occasionally happen, but, but the days where that was an expectation that the church could have, those days are, are, are pretty much over. Which is why it's so critical for the church to embrace the beatitude that we're, we're talking about right now in our Provoke Life campaign from Matthew 5, verse 7. It'll be up on the screen. Let's read it together. Blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Now, mercy is often framed through the lens of forgiveness, but it's more than that. Mercy is about breaking down the barriers between people. It's about extending the grace and the love and the good news of Jesus to those disconnected from the love of God, disconnected from loving relationships in community, disconnected from a meaning and a purpose that is bigger than themselves, making space for them within a community of belonging that's centered on Christ. Mercy is what drives you and I to follow Jesus and build a bigger table. And around that table are going to be people that you just would as soon as not really sit with, not really dine with. People of different opinions and perspectives, experience, politics, 
lifestyle. One of the things that I, I love about King of Kings that, that I, I learned very quickly after I came here over six years ago is that this place does a pretty good job of living that mercy out when people walk through the doors here. As I got to know folks, I would hear story after story of of folks showing up on a Sunday, receiving a warm welcome, and and just kind of sticking around. And, And it had been years or even decades after that happened. And while we do a really good job, I think, as a family of faith on, on Sunday of offering that mercy, Jesus gives us a vision for how we do that on Monday and Tuesday and throughout the rest of the week. Jesus' vision for the church is to be a movement of mercy. What does that movement look like? So in our gospel reading, Jesus is is walking along and he sees a a man named Matthew who's a tax collector. And and so he calls him to be one of his disciples. And, And it's funny because in just one short verse, Jesus ignites a firestorm in his community. And we can read this scripture and we're like, oh, that's nice. You know, Jesus sees this guy and, you know, not a lot of people like him, but Jesus does. And so he invites him to follow him. And, and, and it seems all sort of clean and, and sanitary. But, but this, was, this was controversial. This, this was something that would have created an incredibly negative reaction among some in Jesus' world. Because tax collectors were Jewish people who collaborated with Rome to oppress their own people through taxation. Oftentimes, tax collectors would inflate what was owed to line their own pockets and become wealthy on the backs of the members of their own community. They were hated. They were seen as traitors and considered ritually unclean, which meant they were unwelcome in the synagogue, unwelcome in temple for worship, and really unwelcome in anybody else's home. Because if you dined with a tax collector, you were guilty by association. So when Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, it is a profound statement about the movement of mercy and who would be invited into and included in that movement. Jesus goes a, a step further and does something that would be a, a social faux pas in, in our society. He invites himself over to dinner, right? Like if somebody came up to you and said, hey, uh, I, I, Lucas, I'm coming over to dinner at your house. Now, Lucas would be fine with that normally because we're friends. But like if I didn't know him, he'd be like, um, no. <laughs> First of all, my wife will kill me. The house, you know, is, is, is not clean enough. And, and, and you're just weird. Like, why are you inviting me? yourself over to my house. But in Jesus's day, this was not uncommon, especially when you understand the, 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 un, the lack of likelihood that somebody like Jesus would want to have a relationship with someone like Matthew. So Jesus invites himself to a dinner party that Matthew didn't even know he was going to have. And because tax collectors were hated sinners, the only people they had to invite to a dinner party were other hated sinners. And in that meal, Jesus builds a bigger table, not by standing in the temple or in the synagogue and expecting the sinners to show up and find him, not by promising them a friendly and welcoming environment, a non-judgmental place, 
that they just weren't going to be sure would be waiting for them. Jesus goes to them. And in doing so, he breaks traditions and social norms. He discards the opinions of the pious and religious who wanted to keep the notorious out. He demonstrates that a true movement of mercy is one in which the person who seems to the world as though they are the furthest from God, that they are welcomed without reservation at the bigger table that Jesus had come to build. Of course, you know, the Pharisees catch wind of this because they're always in everyone's business. They hear what Jesus has done. They're like, oh, did you hear? Jesus is eating with Matthew. What's the matter with him? Doesn't he know what kind of person Matthew is? So, of course, they have to go and stick their nose in Jesus's business and ask him a bunch of questions and make a bunch of accusations. And this is what Jesus says to that in verse 12. When Jesus heard it, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Go and learn what this means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners. See, there's this idea out there about Christianity, about the church, about Jesus. And some people in, in the church hold on to this idea. A whole lot of people outside of the church have this idea. That in order to be a part of God's family, in order to be welcome, you have to do something different. You have to become something different in order to be acceptable to God. That was the prevailing mindset in Jesus's day. And it wasn't just that way amongst the Jews. The Romans thought this way as well. They just had a a lot more gods they had to deal with and appease. And I would say that it is still the prevailing religious mindset in our day. We might say that we believe in grace, but functionally, many Christians hold up standards of who is acceptable and who is not. And believe that some kind of sacrifice needs to be made in order to be acceptable. Now, it might not be the sacrifice of of burnt offerings and, and animals in the temple. It might be a sacrifice of time. You've got to change how you spend your time in order to be acceptable with God. It might be a sacrifice of money. You've got to give a certain amount to be acceptable. It might be a sacrifice of identity. You have to stop being who you are in order to be acceptable to God. What does Jesus say about that? He says, I desire mercy not sacrifice. Whatever label the world puts on you, you don't have to stop being that in order to be acceptable to God. You simply need to recognize how desperately you need Jesus. And in that recognition is your invitation to the bigger table that Jesus came to build. 
And when Jesus uses this metaphor of being healthy or sick, we can interpret the, the sick people as, as the sinners, right? The broken ones, the ones that don't do the acceptable things. That's not what Jesus meant by that. The sick who Jesus came for were those who recognized their need for Jesus and trusted the good news that was for all people. And yet because of the labels the world had placed on them, they've been impacted, traumatized, marginalized, and wounded. They weren't sick because of what they had done. They were sick because of what had been done to them and oftentimes by the religious and pious. A movement of mercy is in the direction of those people, and yet those are the ones who are so often missing from our churches, even though the church is called to be a movement of mercy. So what do we do? I was at a conference several years ago where uh, one of the speakers who was a, a pastor, he observed that in suburban America where most of us live, we can wake up in the morning, we can leave our house, avoid all of the places and all of the people that we would just as soon avoid. At the end of the day, we can return to our homes, pull into our garages, put down the door, and not interact with anybody that we really don't want to talk to. That includes the people that we live amongst, our, our, our neighbors. Personally, we've become friends with a family that lives two doors down with us. They have kids that are around the, the age of, of our kids. And I saw the mom out a couple weeks ago, and it occurred to me that that was the first time I had spoken to her since before Christmas. Great job, pastor. <laughs> Not talking to this friend of yours in over a month. Provoking life, helping Jesus change the world. It doesn't start with some grand plan or intensive effort. I think it really starts by simply not avoiding or neglecting the people around us. The people in our neighborhoods, in our networks of relationships. It's the very character of God to show up in places where God is not expected. The, the message translation of Scripture, which is like a, a plain English translation, in John chapter 1 tells us about Jesus. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And Jesus calls us to do the same. To move into the neighborhood, not be, just because we built a house there and that's where we live, but to move into the neighborhood with the fullness of the presence of Christ that we embody for the good of those around us. And we don't do this out of some legalistic obligation. We don't look at it as an intrusion into our already busy and complicated lives. We do it because there was a time when we were Matthew. When we were the notorious sinner. We were once the ones who God might otherwise not desire if it was not in his character, to never give up on us. And maybe you look at your life and you think about your behavior and you think, well, I've never, I've never done what Matthew did. But scripture tells us that when we break one of God's laws, we break them all. That we are those sinners. We are included 
in the sick that Jesus came to heal. When Jesus said he didn't come to call the righteous but the sinners, we are included in that. Paul says in Romans 5, but God showed his love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died. Not for those people out there, but for us as well. We have now received the mercy of God. In baptism, we've been made a part of a movement of of mercy, provoking life, helping Jesus change the world by building a bigger table. And so as I asked this question last week, as I asked the question at the beginning of this message, I'll ask it again. Who's missing? When I look around, there are several demographics I don't see here and yet are very much present in North Oakland County. And the way that we start to reach them is to simply keep our eyes open for who is in need of mercy, for who is disconnected, for who is searching for something beyond themselves and have not yet been able to find it. We keep our eyes open and take the first step of relationship. Regardless of whatever label the world might have assigned them. This is something that this church is good at when we're within these walls. Let's take that same gift of welcome and hospitality to those who are beyond them. So I'd ask that you rise. There's a couple questions uh, that I'd just like to take 30 seconds for us to consider. They'll be up on the screen, and then I'll close this in prayer. What people are missing from our family of faith who are in need of mercy? Where might they be? And what might be your first step as part of Christ's movement of mercy? Take a moment, reflect on that, and then I'll close this in prayer. Lord, I love Sundays where we get to celebrate baptism because not only is is the baptism for the person being baptized, for their family, for their friends, it's also a reminder to us all of, of that which we have been baptized into, the love and the grace and the mercy that we celebrate Oliver being welcomed into. It's something we've been welcomed into as well. But not only have we received that love, grace, and mercy for ourselves, as part of our baptism, we've been called to extend that beyond ourselves, to be a part of this movement of mercy that you launched over 2,000 years ago that has continued on through the centuries and that has been handed on to us. And so, Lord, speak to our hearts about those who are in need of your mercy.
who are disconnected from your love, who are disconnected from community. Lord, show us their faces in our minds right now. Inspire love for them within our hearts right now. And show us how, how we might engage with them in authentic and natural and loving ways in the coming days. We give you thanks and praise for the gift of baptism and that your mo- movement of mercy reached us. Empower us to be part of reaching others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.